0: I'm Hannah. I'm the pastor here at Wicker Park, and I'm so, so glad that each and every one of you is here today with us. Uh, You and who God made you to be, you and all of who you are, you who is on a journey of learning who you are, of figuring it out. And so thank you for letting us be a part of that. Um, In particular, we will be baptizing Ronan Lynch today, and so we welcome Ronan and all of Ronan's family, and we're going to be doing that in a little bit. Yay. Um, I also want to say, I just want to thank Brian again for his testimony. He and his family are headed off to the Cubs game. Um, but uh, I, I, it was rem- we talk a lot about mental health at Urban Village, but it was still a surprise to me when we did that panel with those therapists and mental health professionals, what a difference it made. Um, I would say I had dozens of people in the weeks after that come up and tell me about something they hadn't told me about before, ask for a referral. Um, and I, I've been thinking on that because I think part of it is... Uh, it helped remind everybody that therapists are people. So if you have had an encounter with one who was a real weirdo, or who hurt your feelings, or who said something that was not helpful, they're not the only one out there. <laughs> Keep on looking. If you need help, if you want help, if you just want a third voice to like talk some stuff over with to see where you're at, um, mental health professionals can be pretty great, and they're humans like the rest of us, so don't let one ruin the whole barrel for you. Um, and if you ever want to talk to somebody, we have plenty of folks in the community to do that, so. Uh, Thank you, and if you would, if you're the praying kind, please pray with me. God, you are so good, and you are so various, so many. We thank you for all of the people that you have made, each one a particular gift, each one different, and yet each one of us all a part of you, a part of this wonderful, gorgeous community that you are making. God, help us to get to know ourselves better and more clearly with honesty and strength. Help us, as we get to know ourselves better, to have more grace and understanding of others in relationship. And God, be in our words and our actions today, and if ever we should have words or actions that fail you or fail others, help us to get right up again and start over, as Jesus did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a little background, we're currently in the middle of a sermon series on something called the Enneagram, which some of you may have heard of and some of you may not. Uh, It's an ancient personality typing system used uh, by Sufis in the Middle East, by North African monks, um, by folks all throughout a variety of places and times um, that seeks to help us understand our basic motivations. What drives us? What are some of the automatic things we do in relationship with others and in relationship to the world that we might not even be aware of? Um, What scares us? What helps us? uh, What uh, improves us? What is great? What is hard about being who we are? And the way that it works is that there are nine types uh, named by nine numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And being a higher number isn't better or worse. They're all all just ways of thinking about who we are. Each one a description of a kind of way of interacting with the world that in reading it you might find recognition. Recognition or a new way of thinking about some of your automatic behaviors that might help you as you name them to grow more deeply into them in a way that is helpful to you in living a healthy, um, faith-filled, beloved, and loving life. And in that sermon series, I want us to to recognize and honor there is a 10th type, which is I hate personality tests and I think they're dumb, (laughs) right? And like, that's fine. Many of you may be feeling that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't like putting a label on myself. I don't like putting a label on others. Totally a great way to be. And there still is, I think, a lot to take out of what we're going to talk about today, which is that process that all of us should be engaged in, even if we don't use specific names or words or systems, the process we should all be engaged in of getting to know ourselves better. Because it's in knowing ourselves better that we come to know God better, and it's in knowing ourselves better that we free ourselves of the kind of grit and muck that most of us have um, of defensiveness or harmfulness towards others that we tend to act out of when we don't truly love and know ourselves. There's a lot of crud that humans have come up with to put between ourselves and loving ourselves and loving each other, and the process of getting to know yourself is just like slowly chipping away at the crud, (laughs) and we're all in it together. Amen? Okay. So Enneagram specifically um, has the nine types and they're divided into three triads, each of which um, has a different theme. And today we're thinking about one that's really good for this topic, which is the shame triad, uh, two, three, and four, type two, three, and four, because they all are very concerned about identity. What does it mean to be a person? And they have that feeling that almost everybody has. I have yet to meet a person who doesn't have this feeling, but twos, threes, and fours to have it more, that I am not of worth, and so I need to fix it. (laughs) They have that feeling, I am not of worth, my identity is not automatically worthy, and I need to fix it. And they all fix it in different ways. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Identity, where we find it, how we find it, how we live into it. And I'm going to admit right off, Um, I am not type 10. I am all about personality tests. (laughs) I love them. I find them endlessly fascinating, and I have since I was a kid. Um, I know that according to the lunar uh, astrology, I'm a tiger. I know that according to the solar astrology, I'm a Virgo, but I'm on the cusp of the other thing with the date and the time and the stars and the whatever, right, the charts. Um, I'm, I'm of the particular age of the Internet, Some of you may have lived through this internet age with me, where in middle school and high school, um, nobody used email for anything functional. Um, Your email was primarily forwards about uh, like weird conspiracy theories, and then four words that were the prototypes of what would now be a BuzzFeed quiz, right? So answer these 10 questions and figure out, like, which of the little women you are. Answer these 10 questions and figure out which member of NSYNC is your match. Answer these 10 questions and figure out what your jewel is or what your stone is or, you know, all of this stuff. Purity tests or uh, growth tests or that was uh, what my experience of the internet was (laughs) throughout much of high school. And I think it's really interesting that the internet has continued to have a huge chunk that's devoted to that. To taking these little quizzes, little tests, little uh, uh, click on a pictures to tell us about who we are. Because there is this human instinct that's getting at where we need something outside of ourselves to reflect on, to think about in order to get get to know ourselves better. Because to me, in the end, that was how most of those kinds of personality tests, whether it was the MBTI, which some of you may have had to take at work, right? Are you an ENFJ, are you an IST? There's not a B in there, but you know, letters, the letter ones, letter ones, number ones. um, That Taking those isn't helpful because they are rigorously true. Right? It's not helpful because you can take a blood test to figure out what your personality is the way that you can to figure out um, other things about yourself. It's helpful because when you externalize this information about your personality and read it back to yourself, the process of doing that teaches you something about what your values are and what you hope. The very process of just thinking through, okay, so the test said that I really love interacting with other people. When I read that, did I feel excited because I felt like that was a good thing? Or did I feel disappointed because I feel like that's a bad thing? That teaches me something about what I'm like, right? And that's where any of these can become useful is that in our reactions to them, in our thoughts about what we read, in our thoughts about what we see, we can delve more deeply into ourselves than we can on our own. Because there's certain limits to to being able to know yourself by yourself. It's counterintuitive, right? Who should know you better than you? But we put up um, in that shame that we experience about our identity in that nervousness about how other people react to us, in our scaredness that we aren't enough or that we aren't worthy, we actually put up lots of walls to knowing ourselves truly. We put up lots of barriers to being able to look at ourselves and see, why do I do that thing all the time? What's really motivating me there? And having some kind of system can help us to see something new. And the big thing is not just that we see something new in ourselves, but that once we start to get to know ourselves and start to see our personalities as personalities and not as moral systems, the more we can see other people. So this may have happened to some of you. What will often happen if we don't have clarity around personality and the fact that we all have different personalities, different instincts, different habits is that we think that our personality and our instincts and our habits are instead a prescriptive way that all people should be. And then when other people aren't like us, don't share our instincts, don't share our habits, it just makes us really mad and we think that they're doing something wrong. (laughs) So has anyone ever had the experience in a relationship or at work? Maybe you're the person who, in your personality, is an attentiveness to time and space order really matters to you and ordering things comes really easily to you you show up on time you fill in the spreadsheet right like this is a part of who you are and then somebody else that's not a part of their giftedness that's not a part of their personality what is a part of their personality is spontaneity or joy or energy right and they're kind of like always getting excited they're in the middle of the meeting they get excited about another meeting they walk over they show up a half an hour earlier they show up an hour late If you aren't attentive to personality, right, to here's who I am and I love it and someone else might be different and I can love that too, that's going to present to you as them being terrible because they don't care about time the way that you do and they are being disrespectful to you, right? That's going to present to you as them doing your personality wrong (laughs) as opposed to them doing their personality right, (laughs) Um, the, the less attentive we are to who we are, the more um, cruel we can become about who other people are, because we haven't gotten comfortable with the fact that people are different, and that's a part of the joy of human life. We continue to assume that there's one way to be, and if it's ours, it must be others. I, I think that's a little bit of what is happening in this story of Mary at Bethany, anointing with oils Jesus before his death. Um, It's this beautiful story, and Jesus is right. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, right? Most of the time when Jesus says something, it turns out to be true. Um, But Jesus is so right that this story has continued to be told over and over and over again of Mary anointing him in this home, spilling out oil from an alabaster box, expensive perfume all over him. We have told that story over and over and over again, and we've told it, with a lot of different purposes and a lot of different interpretations. So you'll hear a lot of different um, explanations for her actions, uh, that perhaps she was preparing him for death, because oil is a part of the funeral rite. Or perhaps this was what worship is for her. Um, Perhaps... She was overwhelmed with joy and beauty at getting to be in the presence of Jesus, and she wanted to show it to the world. And we offer all of those explanations because the only one that is offered in the scriptures is not her explanation, but the way that the people around her explain her behavior, which is that the disciples see it and say, gross, ew, you must be doing something wrong. The disciples see her, and they say... um, you haven't thought enough about what that money that you used on that perfume, what that money that you used on that oil could have done for the poor. You're doing it wrong. You're doing life wrong. You're doing worship wrong. Why would you do that? They're mad. Um, and Jesus says to them, she has done what only she could do. Leave her, he, says, he says first, leave her alone. Like, get off her, right? She has done what only she could do. And a lot of people have read that as... Um, She's done all that she could do. She couldn't do anything else. She couldn't fix it. She couldn't, so she did this. I read it as she has done what only she could do. You, you disciples, many of you have the gift of seeing how resources can be used to affect the poor. You are systems people. You are resources people. You are efficiency people. Good for you. But she has a different gift. She has been extravagant. She has valued how things smell and how things feel. She has seen the feelings that we are having in this room. She has done what only she created specifically to be her, this Mary among the many Marys of the Bible, right? This Mary has seen something you could not see and she has done something you could not do. And that is a gift, right? That both of you bring different things to my community and different things to my ministry. It is not a battle to figure out which one of you is right, It's a community act to figure out how both of us have brought something gorgeous and new to a community. So let's get back to those twos, threes, and fours from the Enneagram. These are the three of the nine that are most activated by their feelings, by their heart. And particularly by this this sense around identity of maybe I'm worthless, of shame, of of maybe I I don't have an identity, maybe I need to, to fix that. They feel that sense of lack of worth that many of us feel, but it becomes more driving for them. And each one of them tries to fix it in a different way. So each one of them tries to fix it in a way that probably you have tried to fix it throughout your life. Think back to the middle school days. That's a big era of us trying to fix shame and fix identity. Um, Twos are known as the helpers. So twos gift right? Two's great thing is that they are just like servant leaders. They will give and give. They really see other people's needs. They're really intuitive about people. They want to give to others. But the danger is they think that what will fix that sense of I'm not worthy is if they make themselves needed by others. So they're constantly looking to being needed by others to be the source of their identity. And that can get painful, right? Some of you may have known a person like this, been a person like this, um, where you keep giving and giving and giving and giving, hoping that that's going to fill the hole of feeling like you're worthy. And then you just end up resenting that all those people you're giving to haven't actually fixed your problem. (laughs) Right, You just end up resenting that they never give back to you quite as much as you feel like you're giving to them because nobody could give as much as you're giving to them because all you're doing is giving to try and fix this sense of am I worthy? It's a gift. It's got a danger. Threes are known as the performer or the achiever. Threes have the same question of am I worthy? What is my identity? But they tend to fix it by wanting to prove to the world that they are valuable. They're the people who, right, if there's like an employee of the month, they are killing themselves to get it. They want external approval. They want to show you how amazing they are. They are going to put on the show. They are going to make it feel good. They are going to make it happen. And they offer a huge amount to the world by doing that. But they have the same problem, which is that it, it doesn't actually fix the worthy part, right? You can have all of the accomplishments in the world. Your CV can be 10 pages long. And you will have offered gifts to the world in that, but it won't actually make you feel worthy. And so where threes can go is to a place of dishonesty, where if they feel that sort of external good image falling apart, they're willing to lie to themselves and others to keep it going (laughs) because they feel like it'll all fall apart unless there's universal uh, approval of the fact that they are valuable and that they do valuable things. Fours are really interesting that they solve the problem a different way. So fours also have that sense of am I unworthy? Um, And fours are also known as the romantic or the artist. Fours have this um, deep romance and artistic nature that they offer to the world. They're the most likely to just sort of um, like dwell in the sense of worthlessness and like listen to a lot of the cure you know and like have that sort of oh I'm it is so hard for me to feel unworthy and they like um and the gift of that is that they're deeply emotional and they tend to show the people around them how to value and love those emotions and they can't be talked out of their feelings which so many of us can and so they offer this gift to the world of that And they think that they're going to fix the problem of worth um, by being special, right? So twos want to be needed, threes want to be valuable, fours want to be special. I am unique, I am different, no one else is like me, that's what will prove I'm worthy. Um, And so they tend to sometimes even distance themselves from other people in this effort to prove I'm different, I'm unique. Now from a lot of fours we get some of the greatest art in the world, Because in their drive to prove themselves special, they also prove less um, constrained by the expectations of the world, and they put beautiful things out into it. But they also haven't solved the problem. (laughs) Seeming special also doesn't fix the worthiness issue. And so all three of these, like every person, like every personality, have huge gifts to offer the world that you might not have right? Because if your personality is different, it might be amazing to think about what it would feel like for that to be your mind, for those to be your habits. It might feel like another universe to hear about some of these, how some of these other folks are thinking about things, but we need them because the world needs all of us. It needs all of our personalities. It needs all of our gifts. Being different is the problem. The way in which you are different, the particularness of you is a gift to the world that God made. The problem is when we think that these habits, these practices, these things we do instinctively are the cause of our worthiness, when in fact the worthiness comes first. The things that you do, those things that are instinctive to you, are important and beautiful, and you should embrace them. But they aren't the cause of your identity. Your identity is beloved by God, and it comes first. You don't do these things to prove something, You do them once you already know I am who I am, I am good and I am loved, and so I'll act out of that sense of knowing I'm worthy. When you're doing that instinctive stuff to try and prove it, you only end up in a big, long, dreaming circle of becoming less and less convinced and less and less connected to the people around you. Because you're so distracted by trying to prove to them who you are, you never actually can show them who you are. This is where most of us, where personality comes in. It's not good or bad. It is something that has enormous potential. Who we are is worth knowing because God made it for a purpose and it's awesome. But who we are is also never, ever going to be what we do. (laughs) We're human beings and not humans doing And so you have to remember in those moments that what matters about you most is not any specific thing, but just that you are. And if you can remember that first, then whatever comes from there will be good and lovely and beautiful and nourishing. Do I know anyone who has gotten there 100% of the time? No. No. (laughs) No one is ever fully confident, fully acting out of love only, love for themselves and love for others, but we can get a lot closer than most of us are. Every time we learn a little bit about ourselves and our instincts, we learn to have a little more grace for others and their instincts and a little more appreciation for all of the difference that we bring to the world. And in that, we learn to have a lot more appreciation for God. Because the most amazing thing, right, about me being someone whose instinct is to fix, but you being someone whose instinct is to observe, is not that one of us is right. It's that God contains both. And that is really, really amazing. And so the better you get to know yourself, the more you can live into being the most loved and loving version of yourself the more you can recognize and appreciate the most love and loving version of others, and the more you can begin to commune with a God who is incredibly all of the things, all of the time, all at once, and you get to be a part of it. Our identity is in this God who has made us to be both particular and a part of a community that is all the things, and we are so, so grateful for that. Amen? Amen.